0: Order. That's petmeds.com and promo code podcast. <laughs> the connection between you and your therapist matters. That's why Alma focuses on helping you find the right someone to talk to, not just anyone. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search by what you want to focus on, like Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit HelloAlma.com slash not just anyone to schedule a free consultation today. That's HelloAlma.com slash not just anyone.
1: Hey, folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear The Daily Show's Trevor Noah.
2: She said, Trevor, I'm thinking of marrying this man. And I went, Who, Jesus? Because that's who we'd been talking
1: about. <laughs> that and more coming up. But before that, do you have a WordPress blog? We do at Risk. I've never been able <laughs> to update the damn thing. I'm told it works pretty well all by itself. The thing of it is, when you want to do any sort of customization, that's where it gets confusing as hell. Now, a good friend of ours here at Risk, Chris Castiglione, who created our website, has put together a five-step series to teach you how to install and customize WordPress. First part of the course is available now and it's totally free. So check it out. Because you can turn a simple blog into a beautiful website. You can capture emails. You can transform your site into an e-commerce store if that's what you want to do. So check it out. Learn how to customize your WordPress blog. Go to installwordpress.org. That's installwordpress.org and set up your first WordPress blog for free. Okay, just one more thing. You know, mailing and shipping? That's something you absolutely have to do. (laughs) But going to the post office can be a complete and total pain in the ass. There's a much more convenient way. Stamps.com. Stamps.com brings you all the services of the post office right to your desk. You can actually buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer. You can print postage for any letter or package, any class of mail. Then just hand it to your mail carrier. You'll never waste time going to the post office again. So you can focus on what really matters. We use stamps.com at risk and the story studio, and we love it. And right now you can sign up for stamps.com and use our promo code RISK for this special offer. It's a four week trial plus a $110 bonus offer that includes postage and a digital scale. So don't wait. Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the home page and type in risk. That's stamps.com. Enter risk. Now here's the show. kids this is risk the show where people tell true stories they never thought they would dare to share i'm kevin allison and this is dorley behind me now if you're new to the show it's important for you to understand that risk is where people share stories you're very unlikely to hear anywhere else for example npr wouldn't be able to touch a lot of these stories because they're too X-rated or too emotionally raw or too outrageously shocking to be on broadcast radio. These are the kind of stories that people would normally only share with their very closest friends or their therapist. If you're looking for a show where the host and the guests all keep the rougher or bolder or weirder edges of their personalities suppressed and subdued so that everything is very palatably presentable for folks of every sensibility. (laughs) This is not that show. But if you will dare... To open that heart and mind to hear people sharing their real experience without filter, warts and all, then you are in the right place. You are going to laugh. You're going to cry. You are going to throw up in your mouth a little. Here we go again. It's the music, man. Come on. All right. And there's music, too. In a little bit, we are going to hear from the brand new host of The Daily Show, Trevor Noah. I'll never forget what happened. This was in 2013 when Trevor did this story for us. He came to a Risk Live show in New York City. I said, now, Trevor, shit gets real on this show. And he said, yeah, 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 I got it, I got it. And he was all prepared to tell this very funny story. But then he was the last person to go, and he was listening to the other stories backstage. And he grabbed me and he said, oh, wait a minute, you're right shit really gets real on this show. Can I change what story I'm going to tell? And he improvised the story that you're going to hear a little bit later. But before we get to Trevor, we're going to hear from one of our very favorite storytellers, T.S. Madison. She is a porn star. She is an entrepreneur. She is an activist for trans people everywhere. If you want to find her online, just look up Big Dick Bitch. Here she is now, T.S. Madison, with a story we call La Sorpresa.
3: Have led a life of escorting and hooking and porn and all this type of stuff. So you know, of course, a girl in my line of work has all types of crazy stories. So I had a gentleman caller to call my advertisement. This had to be like in the year two thousand and four, and he was a Hispanic guy. So. I couldn't hardly understand him on the phone, but you know, most Spanish men know the main words fucky fucky and money. So they know those words, so you know, he called me, he was like, fucky fucky, how much to fucky fucky? And I was like, what's $200 for 30 minutes? He's like, okay, well, I'm going to book my appointment to come and see you. So it was already difficult for me to give him directions, child. To get to my spot to the home. So I'm on the telephone, like trying to guide him here, saying no baby, left, izquierda, izquierda, make a left, izquierda on the, the corner. So when he got to the house after about 30 minutes. He got there and he told me, "I, mommy, you're so beautiful. And I was like, thank you, baby, thank you. And I said, so, what would you like? And he was like, uh, fucky, fucky. And I said, okay, well, do you have the $200? So he pulled out the $200 or whatever. He folded up. It was $10, $20 bills. So I laid down about four towels because I didn't know what was going to happen. The majority of the guy that knows what you are or has a, inkling of what you are is there because you have your package you know what i'm saying and nine times out of ten there are guys that don't start out liking it but end up liking it i tell a guy these are the steps in dealing with a trans you know they're trans you get your dick sucked you know they're trans you move from getting your dick sucked to actually penetrating you move from penetrating to actually doing a reach around it goes from a reach around to hmm i might want to see how this tastes how this might feel in my mouth and it goes from them getting a little taste to saying well you know maybe i'd like to know how it feels in my ass and there you have it you a full-rounded guy after that you know but it starts out with the initial trans attraction the illusion is woman but the dick is the toy it's a toy and I got a really, really stiff erection Because he was a very, very cute Hispanic guy And honey, he just dropped down And he started giving me fellatio And he was really eating me like a medianoche Which is a midnight sandwich He was really, I mean, really eating And I was like, oh God, you better stop Because I'm about to explode So he was like, ah, mami, yo quiero You fucking me You fucking me And I was like, baby Um are you sure you want me to because you're a small man and you have a a petite frame like a woman's frame but you're short and you know very Mexican he was a very Mexican type but he was very handsome but you know how some Mexicans are very short and you know there's no shade to Mexican but it, it is what it is so you know, he commenced to climb on the bed, and he spread his cakes. He got on all fours, and his ass was too open. And I had the opportunity to look at his hole. So I was just there staring at his hole. Like, it, it looked very inviting. The holes, it was like calling me, like, Madison, yes, please, you know, come inside me. And I was like, oh, God, I just hope I don't come really fast, because this looks like a really, really, really good hole. And I wanted to go inside. I put on the condom, and I I grabbed both of his cheek, and I spit in his hole, like, (sighs) he's like, yes, mommy, yes, and he started to wiggle it around, like, he was really hot for it, like, really hot, so, honey, you know, I reached over to the side, and I got the condom, and I rolled the condom down, and, you know, I, as as being a girl of such a well-endowment like myself, I wear the gold packs, the Magnum XLs, so, and I asked him again. I said, baby, are you sure this is what you want? And he was, the way he was twerking his booty, like, around, like, fuck me, mommy. Fuck me, mommy. I said, all right, you get what you asked for. Honey, I'm not going to bother to tell you, child, that I put the lube on and I got my cock really, really wet. And he was really back there squirming. He was calling for, mommy, Ay, mommy, fuck me, mommy, fuck me, mommy. You know, his head was down on the bed and his ass was... Tooted it up in the air, and it was just jerking around. Fuck me, mommy. Fuck me, mommy. Fuck me, mommy. So, I'm commenced to placing the anaconda inside of his hole. And he just flew off it real fast. He flew off it. Oh, mommy. Oh. Like, he just flew Straight forward off it onto the bed And he lay flat And he's like Oh mommy Oh go slow mommy it's Slow mommy it's Slow So he reached around From the uh <laughs> And grabbed it And he started to guide it in You know like Like they guide a plane down To the runway so he started guiding it right on there into the hole and he put in a little bit that he could take. He came off of it, put in a little bit he could take and came off of it, put until eventually it opened up and it went in and I went all the way down balls deep. And he was like, Ay, mommy, you know, and so I was like, baby, are you OK? Are you feeling any type of discomfort? Is there anything that I can get you, like, while I'm inside? Would you like water, tea, soda? He's like, huh? I was like, I was being funny, you know. So I asked him, is it okay if I begin to give you your fantasy? He was like, yes, mommy, fuck me. So I just started to, you know. And he was just taking it, oh, oh, yes, mommy. Hi, mommy. Hi. Hi. Hey, mommy. And he's twirling it around and rolling it around and rolling it around like, hey, mommy. His erection is like ridiculously hard because I can see it flopping on his stomach and laying down on the towels and whatever. And he's just like, hi, hey, mommy. Hi. Hey. Hey. He's looking back at me like he's some freaking porn star bitch, like throwing his head back like, hi, hey, yes, mommy. Hi. Hey. Hi. Hey. So at this point, it started to get really good to me. So I speeded up the pace. And I grabbed him around his waist, and I started to dig him. <claps> and He's like, "Yes, yes, mommy, mommy, yes, I, 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 mommy, I, I, mommy, I, I, my God, I, 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 I." And then he said, "I, my God, mommy, I, I, my God, I, my God." And I just, when I pushed him off of the cock, an entire goose egg came out of his ass. It's like It was a full turd that just came out and it flopped down on the towel. And so when the goose egg came out, I, I stayed out and I looked down at it like, oh, my God, this did not just happen. And he's still gyrating the Rolex in his ass because he wanted me to shove the cock back inside. And I'm holding him this way, like away from it, like looking in disbelief, like, oh, my God, this man has had an entire meal here on my bed. Like he left an entire submarine sandwich or something here on the bed like this. And I was like, how could one human produce this much pile of shit in one wop like that? Like, it's like I was tearing him up and I came out and so did the doo-doo. Like it just came out like I was a plunger. Like, you know how you do use a plunger and it pulls out the stuff? It just came out and it was in a shit pile. Like, God, if someone could have captured my expression. And then he started to try to position himself to come back and lifted up his kneecap. And he was going to put his knee down into the shit. And I screamed, no, baby, why? So he just was like, what happened? Do you know this fool had the audacity to turn around and look at this pile of human shit and say, hi, little mommy, what happened? Did you do that? I was like, what? Okay, wait. Baby, do you think that I got up here and laid an egg right here while I was fucking you? This is your baby. This is your egg. This is your meal right here on the bed like this. How the fuck are you going to ask me? <laughs> is this me that I do that? Like an urkel. Did I do that? No, bitch. You just did this. This is what you did. I'll never forget it. It was just like in a sequence. I, 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 mommy. I, mom, I, I. Pero, mommy, what happened? Bitch, you shit it. The guy might have been into scat. I can't get into the scab. You know what I'm saying? To each his own but I can't get into the SCAT. I, I've i seen some videos on SCAT and I have almost died. I have some gay boy children, I call them my gay sons, that used to work Rent Boy and Adam for Adam or whatever, and my son was reading the paper and someone had called his line and he and I were FaceTiming And uh, they called his, you know, we all keep an extra line. We keep a whole phone and the regular phone. So they called his whole phone or whatever, and and he and I were FaceTiming, and he said, girl, do you know this man wants me to take a full dump in his face? And I was like, girl, you're lying. And then he was like, yeah, he wants me to take a full dump in his face, and then he said, bitch, this is definitely the right time, because I just had some sushi and a dragon roll, and I'm gonna wear him out. So he put the phone up there on the mantle, you know in between the stuff so the man would notice that the phone was there or whatever and bitch jesus I, I i just i couldn't take it so he was a really fat guy and he laid on his back he laid down there on the floor on his back and i'm intensely watching this like intensely so he started licking my son's ass like licking his hole like like really like mm, like I, I just was there, really like O-M-freaking-G, you know? And my the son picks up a paper, like a newspaper from over there, and he opens the paper up. Like, and it was, I think he did that in order for me to laugh, you know? Saying like, I'm about to take, you know, just what happens when you're in the bathroom. He's squatting over the man. And then it just started happening. And it was... I just screamed like, ah! Cause I was like, "Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh!" I screamed and hung up. Now I know that gave away his phone privileges because I was not supposed to be watching that. <laughs> the guy asked him what it was because, but I had hung up, so you know. And he said it was his phone that was his ringtone or something. He told him it wasn't on something in the house. Oh. Anyway, Hispanic guy. So he got really mad and he stood up or whatever and I rolled the towels up and I threw them in the garbage. And they were really good towels. Like, you know those very expensive towels that you get from Bed Bath & Beyond? It was too beyond. I had to throw them away, but he was really standing there with a gaping hole and shit on his legs. I was like, oh my God, baby, no, just stay still. And I took the towel and I took his hands and I made him wipe his own ass in all that area, you know, to throw that shit away. And I was like, baby, the date is over. Like, I'm not going to be fucking you anymore. I'm not giving you any more of this good dick. You can't handle the good dick. You can't handle it. You have to be able to hold your mud. You know, and he had on those tidy whities You know those tidy whities how white they are. Those, I know the back of those are so full of shit. And he pulled them up or whatever, and I escorted him downstairs, honey. And I put him out. And he commenced to go down the street and call me and tell me he loves me. Mommy, I love you. I love you, mommy. I want you to fuck me again right now. And I'm like, baby, you could never call my phone number again. (music) Ladies and gentlemen, when you decide or you happen to be tossed into adult work, sex work or anything... There are a lot of surprises. And if you're not into some shit, you will learn how to be into some shit by the time you're finished with that part of the career. You know, you'll experience some of the most exciting money and some of the most disgusting sex and some good sex. You will get some good sex, you know, and it will come from the most normal looking People like everyday people. You you have no idea what people are really into, until it's time to take off their clothes. A, B, C, D, e, R, G, H, I I I, mommy yes. Ay my god ay 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 mommy ay my god ay 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 I mommy ay my mami. Ay, mami. ay ay my god ay 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 Pero mommy what happened? Bitch you shit it
4: Good evening
2: or not. Uh, and to the people at home, good evening to you. This is cool because you're here, but they're also there. I've never done this before. I feel like I'm talking to you, but more importantly, I'm talking to the person who's listening to this now on their iPod. One of those really old ones with the scrolly wheel thing. <laughs> I can't believe you still have one of those. And I'm from Africa. <laughs> I, uh, I couldn't think of one particular story to tell. It's a very interesting thing to be asked. Uh, tell one story, hone in on it, and share it with people. I came to realize today that I've lived my life in highlights. This is how I've chosen to live it, just because it's more exciting. And I don't think everything is worth telling to people. This is something I wish my friends... Would understand when they're drunk <laughs> but I figured out I, I would I would tell you stories of myself and my mom I, I grew up in a single parent household uh, this was not because my my father was unavailable or uh, didn't want to live with us um, he couldn't live with us because we grew up in South Africa during apartheid or I grew up during that time my parents were already grown up when they were parents because this is generally what parents do Uh, not always but most of the time and so because of this we couldn't live together but I feel like even if we could live together we wouldn't have my my mother never wanted a man to own her child it was a very strange uh, deal she had with my father she said to him I want a child and he said I don't want to be a dad she said no I didn't say I want you to be a father I said I want a child and so he agreed to make her pregnant uh, which I think was a good time and just because I know what this consists of. And, and so I was born to my mother. And she named me Trevor Cliff Noah. The only reason I got the second name Cliff was because she wanted me to have the second initial C. Because she wanted my, my initials to stand for tender care. Um, which is just a horrible reason to give somebody the name Cliff. <coughs> You can just say that my name is Tender Care and we will know in the family, but she chose to destroy me with that name. And, uh, and my mom and I lived together. This, this was our thing. We were like a team, you know, a fantastic team that went through life together, living in crazy places. We moved a lot. Um, in the beginning, I was her little fat child. She treated me very well. Every Tuesday, we would go and have pizza. This was like a special treat where she would buy me a pizza and then she would watch me eat it she wasn't allowed to join me because this was my pizza and she would do anything for me because i was her only child and i always reminded her of this even as a little child i would look at her and i would say i could die you know and then she would let me eat my food alone which was really cool and assholish when you think in hindsight but at the time, as a child, I felt like this was appropriate. Uh, and so we lived together. And we, we grew up in the strangest areas. Because my mom lived a very independent life, she didn't rely on her family, we lived together in a place called Eden Park, which was a horrible area on, on the very far outskirts of the outskirts of the city. And, and so we, we used to walk to the main road and then hitchhike into town. That was the only way we could get in. Uh, we had no car at the time. So we we would live there and then every morning at 6 a.m. we would walk for about an hour and then we would hitchhike from 7 a.m. And then then that's how we'd get around. Um, Sometimes my mom would tell me to hide and then wait for the car to stop for her and then I would run out because people were more likely to stop for a woman and not a woman and a fat child. (laughs) So we used to do this all the time. And then one day we got a car, which was great, we got a car so we lived in this we had a little beetle that we had together and life was really good until one day my mom fell in love with another man uh, a very charming man he didn't have front teeth but his charm uh, circumvented this, this fact <laughs> he, he actually had a great smile even though he didn't have those teeth and he was a very charming guy sweet guy and he was cool and he was hip he was the friendliest guy ever and he was a mechanic he used to fix our car and he was just like the coolest guy ever. And one thing led to another. One day we were having dinner with him. The next day we were just hanging out as, as friends. And I got to know him. And he was my buddy. And he was cool. And then one day he slept over at the house, which I didn't understand. I was a kid. I was just like, yeah, he slept over. Uh, I didn't think that he was doing things with my mom, um, which is just horrible even now to think of. <laughs> and, and so he stayed. And then one day my mom said to me, at a prayer group meeting that we always used to go to every Tuesday, she said, Trevor, I'm thinking of marrying this man. And I went, who, Jesus? Because that's who we'd been talking about. (laughs) It's very important to to build up something before you tell And she said, no, no, I'm thinking of marrying AB. And I was like, what? Why would you marry him? He's just a cool guy that sleeps over. This makes no sense. Plus, I've already got a dad. She said, no, no, not to be your dad, to be my husband I said, that makes no sense You get husbands so that they can be dads And uh, she didn't agree and so they got married And I I never liked him, I never liked him (laughs) Uh, I didn't, and I don't think he liked me I never called him dad, I refused I called him by his first name, which was Abel And I made sure I enunciated it when I saw him I said, hello Abel And he would say, hello Trevor And we would eye each other almost like a young lion cub eyes, the old one, like, one day when I'm strong enough, I will kill you. <laughs> and I always dreamt of that day. And, uh, and we lived together for a while, things were good. And then one day, I'll never forget this, we were at home, and uh, Abel, who was very charming in the beginning, started to become increasingly drunk as the relationship grew, become more and more drunk, and then one day... He, uh, he got to the house. It was at 1 a.m. or somewhere there. And this was a tiny little house we lived in together on the outskirts of the outskirts. And he came back. He was very drunk, and he decided to cook himself some food. During the course of this meal, he fell asleep, which I don't think was in the recipe. And... The food burnt on the stove. My mom woke up because she smelled that that smell. You know the smell. You know when something is burning. And she thought the house was burning down. She ran into the kitchen and she found the food. And then she started to shout at him. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, this is the problem with you. This is the thing. You do the thing. You get drunk. You're always drunk now. Why are you always drunk? Why are you always drunk? And he was drunk. Like, ah, I'm drunk. And she said, why are you always drunk? Why do you do this? What's wrong with you? And I thought, well, why can't we just sleep? Let's just sleep. Let's just sleep. And then. I'll never forget, I was sleepily watching this fight and uh, out of nowhere, literally out of nowhere, my mom was shouting, saying, how could you do this? Why are you doing this? Drunk, you're drunk. Why do you always do this? You're doing this. And then he slapped her. And you know, the weird thing about seeing your parent get hit is you just don't see it coming because parents are not meant to receive beatings. This is their job, to administer beatings. Uh, I I I was the recipient of many a beating in my time. This was very normal. I know in America, children aren't supposed to be beaten, which I think is a waste of children. But in Africa, this was and still is very normal. You, you hit your child, this is most of the fun of having children. And, uh, and so I was beaten. I think kids are made for it. We, we are meant to be beaten. We, we understand beatings. But I, I'll never forget, my mom got hit by, by this man. And she fell to the ground. And I'd, I'd never seen my mom in this position before, and she was there. And she, and she looked at him, and this was the first time this had ever happened. And she looked at him, and she said, what are you doing? And he said, something drunk, drunk, something drunk. <laughs> shut up, woman, drunk, drunk. And uh, she got up, and she said, what are you doing? How dare you? How can you do that? What are you doing? And he said, shut up. And she said, I won't shut up. I won't shut up. And she says, shut up. And I won't shut up. I won't shut up. And then he hits her again. And then she just carried on talking from the floor, and in my head I was going, what are you doing? What are you doing? Don't you know how this works? Because I was an expert at receiving beatings. I knew the technique was to question initially, and then cry, and then be silent. This generally limited the duration of the beating you would receive. Uh, but she just carried on. She just carried on, and, and, and uh, we, we made our way out, and we ran, and I'll, I'll never forget that day. We ran to the police station, and we got there. And uh, my mom said, I would like to lay a charge against this man who has hit me. And the policeman said, well, did you do something? And my mom said, what do you mean? She said, well, did you do something to make him hit you? And uh, my mom said, no, no, I, I, I didn't. And we stood there. I remember, I remember standing there going, what, what did she do? Did she do, Can you do something to make someone hit you? I, I didn't know because this was the police, and the police know everything. You know. So I stood there, and I, I didn't know. And uh, I don't remember what happened for the rest of the night because I fell asleep on the police bench next to a man in handcuffs who uh, cradled me in his lap as I fell asleep. Um, I remember the warm handcuffs against my face. Um, they actually aren't that bad when they're warm. They, uh, when they're cold, it's like, oh, handcuffs. But when they're warm, it's just like excessive jewelry type thing, you know? And I fell asleep. My mother didn't leave him, and we, we lived together for many years. He didn't, didn't hit her again. Until one day, a few years ago, uh, my mom was coming back from church, and I was in my new place. I would just gotten a place, and I got a phone call from my brother, my younger brother, in the morning. And he said, "Trevor, where are you? What are you? Are you busy?" And I said, "Yeah, sort of." What happened? And he said, "Mom's been shot." And I said, "I'm sorry. What?" And he said, "Mom's been shot. Are you busy?" And I said, uh, "Even if I was, this is." <laughs> This sort of clears out my schedule. And he said, well, she's been shot. And it's so funny. I didn't ask by whom. I knew immediately who she had been shot by. It was a strange thing. I always hated the man. He had an evil about him. And so I said, okay, where was this? And my brother said, at the house, at the house, but we're at the hospital now. And so I got in the car and I drove to the hospital. I get to the hospital and my brother's outside holding back tears and he's, he's 10 years younger than me. But he was, he was much stronger than I was. I was crying. I was bawling like a little child, just crying. What has she done? Why didn't she leave him? I told him to leave him. And I ran in and the people were there at the hospital and they, and they ask you all the important questions about her, you know, like, uh, like does she have uh, insurance? Does she have medical insurance? And I go, don't you want to know her blood type? They said, no, we need to know her insurance type. And, um, and they wouldn't help her until we proved we had insurance, which we didn't, so I said, use my credit card and just pay for whatever. And they said, it might be very expensive. I said, no, no, it doesn't matter. Money's no cost, This is, this is money's, no, money's no, no object. This is my mother, just, just take the money. And they said, but we need to do x-rays. It could cost a thousand. I said, take the thousand. And they said, well, we need to do blood tests and we might to do surgery. It might cost 10,000. I said, take the 10,000. They said, it might be a lot of money if she has to go in the ICU. I said, just do it. They said, but it could cost a fortune. I said, well, how much? How much? Because, I mean, we don't want it to be too much. Because, I mean, like, I still want my money. And she's cool and everything. But she's lived a great life, I feel. And I think she would understand. She wouldn't want to be for me to be broke. And she didn't, like, survive in surgery. Like, I think she wouldn't want that. So tell me when it gets to, like, more than, like, like 100,000. And then we'll, then we'll re-evaluate this relationship and everything around us. And... Uh, and then they said, no, it'll only cost a few thousand. I said, well, money's no object. Take the thousands. Take the thousands and save my mother. Take it all, but not all. Just take what I said before, but just, just imagine it's all and so then my mom was there and she was bleeding and I was crying and my brother was there holding me like it's going to be okay it's going to be okay and he told me the story apparently this man came to the house while my mom was there coming back from church Um, very ironically I feel because you just come from church church is the place where you you almost go and re-up your ante of good things you know you go there and you go hey give me more good things for one more week please and then she came back and then now bad thing immediately and I was just like ah you let us down Jesus that was a bit of a slip up you should have protected her at least until Monday. I mean, on the Sunday, that's just, that's just major letdown in terms of, like, God. I was very disappointed by that. And I let him know on many occasions uh, as I re my auntie. But anyway, I, I go off the topic. And, um, and so, so my brother told me the story. He came to the house, and he said, I've had enough of this. I've heard you want to leave me. You will not leave me. And then he pulled out a gun, and then he fired, fired the shots at her. And, um, and but miraculously, four of the bullets refused to fire. They just fell out of the front of the gun and fell onto the floor, just uh, totally not discharged, which was very weird. I think that was Jesus. Like he, he was like, four bullets, then everything else. He was like, look, man, I, I, I can't work miracles. I mean, I can, but this is like, bullets and wine are very different. Um, so he stopped four bullets. So only one entered my mom's head went into the back of her head and then out the front by her nose. So it ripped her nose to shreds. And so she was in the hospital bleeding from her face. And I was there panicking. What are you going to do with it? And my mom was there gasping with blood going, oh, don't worry, don't worry. I was like, I'm worried, I'm worried. And I was crying. She's the one bleeding, but I'm crying. Like, Oh, I'm in so much pain. I'm in so much pain. And she's like, it's okay, it's okay. And I'm like, it's not okay. You're bleeding out your face, lady. This is not okay. And it reminded me of the first time I saw my mom's tampons as a little child. Because that was the first time I saw my mom bleeding. Bleed, and I remember going. This is you're not okay. You're gonna die. And she said, No, this is what happens. And I, I came over there, but then like this was like, No, this is not what happens because you're bleeding out your face now, and it looks like it'll last more than seven days. So this is a problem. And we sat there and, and we cried together, my brother and I. And um, and then my mom, my mom miraculously survived. The bullet went through her, uh, com- missing everything. Her spine, her her nerves, everything came out the front, and it just ripped her her nose to shreds. And uh, I remember standing in the the recovery room with her, and we we just, and you know, she regained consciousness, and the doctor came, and he said, it's a miracle, it's a miracle, you have survived, the bullets did no damage, just to your face, and we can have plastic surgery if you want, and my mom said, no, no surgery, I'll keep it the way it is, as a reminder of what has happened to me, and I remember looking at her, and I went, wow, what a hero, what a hero, sort of ugly hero, because the nose is weird, but still a hero, and she's my mom, so I don't care. And, uh, and I'll never forget just like I guess my, my inspiration she looked at me and my mom and I look very alike uh, just she's like the darker version of me because she's black and she looked at me and uh, this was the aftermath everyone had just been quiet for a long time and she looked and she said you know what this means now right and I said no what does it mean and she said well now you're undisputedly the best looking person in the family <laughs> and she said there's a bright side to everything and there was and she's cool now And uh, the man who shot her is in jail. And uh, thanks to Jesus, there were no more than one bullet. And this is my story. Thank you very much.
5: I thought I saw the devil this morning. Looking in the mirror, a drop of rum on my tongue With a warning To help me see myself clearer I never meant to start a fire I never meant to make you bleed I'll be a better man today I'll be good, I'll be good And I'll love the world like I should Yeah, I'll be good, I'll be good For all of the time That I never could
1: This is Risk. This is James Young behind me now. And we just heard from Trevor Noah, a story we first featured on the episode of Risk called Hurt back in 2013. We don't rerun things often, but it's so exciting to see the success that Trevor is now having uh, with taking over the helm over at The Daily Show. And between T.S. Madison... And Trevor Noah, we heard a wonderful little interstitial by our episode editor, Mr. Jeff Barr. Jeff also added sound design to this next story, which was performed live in Denver, Colorado, just last Wednesday. And we always love having a storytelling virgin on the show. He had never shared a story on stage before. You can hear what a risk it was. This is Christopher Fox. At the Risk Live show in Denver With a story we call Praying for Time
5: I'll be good, I'll be good For all of the times I never could
4: When I was 16 years old, I had a near-death experience. I was play-fighting in the cross-country locker room. There were middle schoolers there that day, so we were trying to act cool. The guy that I was play-fighting wanted to be an army ranger. He took it a little far. Now, I didn't feel the belt go around my neck, but I did see him get behind me. I felt the belt as it came around, and I had it right here, and... The next thing that I knew, I was walking in a field. My left hand was waving over the grains as I walked and I was listening to the most beautiful voice that I could ever recall. I truly wanted to stay there forever and listen to that voice. But as soon as I was there, everything went black. And from this small, distant circle, it was like the world snapped back. There was this extremely loud, high-pitched ringing in my ear. And I became aware of the heaviness of my body laying there on the cross-country locker room floor. I looked up to see all the guys in a circle around me. I found their faces to be that of surprise, but also relieved that I was even moving. The guy who had got the belt around my neck tried to play it all off like, We were just joking. He kept repeating that. And as soon as I got to my feet, he pulled me aside. He looked right at me. He said, you were just joking, right? I looked over his shoulder to see the middle schoolers talking to themselves and glancing back over to us. I looked into his eyes to see fear. I tried to rethink back to what had just happened. I couldn't do it. It was easier just to lie than really think about it, and so I said, yeah, of course. I remember we ran 800s that day, and it was like I was watching myself. I just wasn't there. Now, I pushed this from my mind, and I didn't think about it again for a few years, because I couldn't integrate this into my reality. Spirits, the whole other, all of that stuff nonsense. I was all about drugs and things. I started to move into my adult life. I graduated high school. I had no real goals or desires with my life, and so I just went to college. (laughs) I mean, that's the right thing to do. I even ran across some guys who taught me some Greek And I joined a fraternity. I partied my life away, and I was able to maintain that life for about a year. It was in this year that I needed an out. And my mom is still really sick, and she was more so then. And so I told everyone around me that I was going to move out here to Colorado from Kansas to take care of her. I lied. The truth was that I was running from a failed relationship. We'll say girlfriend one, found out that I had cheated on her with one of her sorority sisters. I was running from the constant partying. I was running from being drunk for weeks on end. We would actually joke about sober days. I got to Colorado and things were all right. I was starting over. I found a job right away and it was cool. I had started making friends, but that would only last for a few months. I became disillusioned with my job in selling things and subsequently lost it. I also lost the friends that I had by March of 2011. Now fast forward a few months of me and my mom's basement playing video games at a night in the summer of 2011. I was with, call her girlfriend, too, and we were planning a college orientation for the next morning. We were gonna recreate our lives together. She had gone through some things and I was starting over as well. And that was really cool. Everything was okay until she left. And then something in me snapped. It was like the pressure of starting over was too much and I was trying to reach back to that fraternity life. I had totally forgotten how hard, how painful it actually was. Drinking, being drunk all the time, the constant partying, everything. I was trying to reach back to it. I was texting girlfriend one for a period of days in that attempt to reach back and I was starting to think why not. You know I was thinking why not kill myself because I didn't want to deal with the changes. I didn't want to move forward and move into my old life. I wanted my old life back. For a few weeks I had been researching how to do so and in this night when she left, something snapped. I thought, why not? It was like I was watching myself again. I first moved into the kitchen. I went to the pantry. I grabbed two bottles. One, over-the-counter Equate, acetaminophen, large bottle. The second bottle, my stepdad's prescription Tramadol. I then watched as I grabbed water and moved back into the living room. I finally observed myself as I grabbed as many pills as I could fit in my mouth and swallowed them continuously. When I had reached to 120 pills, it was like I snapped back to myself. I was wondering what I had just done. It didn't seem real. It didn't seem like something that I would actually do, that I would follow through with. But as I was sitting there, I still had pills in my mouth as I came to this realization. I spit them out as quick as I could, and I was staring at the wall that on the other side had my stepdad and mom. Everything in me was screaming, go tell them. Go tell them what you had just done. But I couldn't. It was easier to lie to myself. It was easier to say that all of this will pass. That I will just wake up in the morning and everything will be fine. That this was just going to be some bad dream and with those lies I put myself to bed. Now there is no way that I could have been more wrong in thinking that nothing was going to happen. I first awoke in the middle of the night. I had a pressing and dire need to throw up. I made it as far as a sit-up and I threw up all over my bed. I pushed what I could aside and tried to run to the bathroom running out of my door I threw up again but I put my hand over my mouth so most of it got on me I made it to the bathroom and stayed there the rest of the night when I awoke again in the morning I threw up and laid back down I remember just laying there staring at the ceiling listening to the clock tick and tick and tick I waited until the last possible moment, to get up and go to the college orientation. Because this was all still a bad dream. All of this was going to pass. I got myself cleaned up and went up to the kitchen. I knew that I needed something to eat, maybe to help me. Maybe this was just another tequila night and I was waking up throwing up. When I got to the kitchen, everything looked so bad that I ran right to the bathroom to throw up more. My mom was in the office that was next to the bathroom. She asked me if everything was all right. I lied. I said, yeah. Everything was fine. I didn't want any further interaction with her. And so I got as quickly as I could to my car to drive south on I-25 down to the college parking lot. I didn't realize how bad I actually was until I began to drive. It was too much for me to turn my head in any way, to even look at my mirrors to change lanes. It was too much for me to even move my body. I stayed in this hunched-over shape, holding the steering wheel, trying to fight back the urge to throw up as I drove down I-25 to the college parking lot. The whole time, the thoughts were ringing through my head. Call 911. Call an ambulance. Get help. But no, 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 I told myself, I can't do that because this will just pass. I remember thinking the thoughts that I'm going to laugh about this later in the day when I'm at that orientation that I was just a little sick in the morning and made a big deal about it. So I continued on. I now thank God that I made it to that college parking lot because when I got out of my car to meet girlfriend too, I couldn't walk very well. She immediately asked if everything was all right. I couldn't lie anymore. I couldn't hide. I had to admit that, yes, in fact, something is very wrong. I looked at her, and I don't remember what I said, but it was enough to express that I was, in fact, dying from an overdose of acetaminophen. The few steps that we made from our cars became quickly reversed as we got into her jeep and she rushed me to the ER. I remember passing security, and as we were there, the security guard looked at me and said, you don't look too well. I kind of remember laughing, like, you work at an ER. <laughs> Probably says that all day. It was after this that my mind really began to get foggy. My words Really stopped working. I wasn't able to express myself, and we got to the desk and had to tell them what I had just done, but I don't remember what I said. But it was whatever me or girlfriend two said got the people that were there working very quickly. I was placed immediately into a wheelchair, and blood was drawn right away from my arm to determine the toxicity. I then was placed in a room. I threw up blood all over my clothes and was given new clothes to wear. My mom and stepdad showed up, and I was in really bad shape. I was literally dying. For those first few days, I had a tube blowing air into my nose. I had monitors on my heart. I had IVs in my arms and had the luxury of having blood taken every few hours, including during the night. When I had left, it looked like I had track marks running up and down my arms because they had used so many places. It was also during those first few days that I had two separate doctors tell me that I was not going to make it. That moving me to ICU would do nothing unless things really took a turn for the worst. But it didn't matter, they said, because there would be no way that I could get a liver transplant in time. They had to see if the antidote would work. My liver was failing and I was just waiting on the antidote to really kick in. I later found out that my liver enzymes had spiked to 6,000 and that there was little hope that I would make it and that I would die an agonizing death coughing up blood from liver failure. It all seemed unreal. It didn't seem like I was actually there living this. I thought it was just some bad dream that I would be able to walk out of. But I got to witness the constant hordes of family coming in and out to see me for the last time. My girlfriend's parents came. The exchange student we had hosted a few years prior was in country visiting, and she came. But one visitor really got to me. It first started with a phone call, and there wasn't really much coming from my end, because I just remember crying while talking to my dad. He then drove, after that phone call, nine hours to see me, for 15 minutes. Because he had to drive nine hours back to Kansas for work. It was when I talked to him, when he came, that the whole situation wasn't unreal anymore. It was when this situation started to become clear. This clarity that I began to feel was magnified because I understood why he came. Why he would drive. In total 18 hours to see someone for 15 minutes, someone that he loved, someone that he helped create. That feeling of clarity soon turned to horror as I realized how rock-bottom I actually was. No single person could help me. My family could only watch. The nurses could only watch. Doctors could only watch. I was at the mercy of the antidote. It was in this moment that I thought fleeting thoughts back to that near-death experience. Those fleeting thoughts became clearer as I began to think of myself as a little boy in church. I hadn't been in a while. I then thought about some things from the Bible, and with no other options, with nothing else, I prayed. It was so awkward in my mouth, but I prayed. I said, God, it's me. I'm in a tough spot here. My thoughts then turned to my family. I saw their faces, one by one, streaming through my mind, ending with my dad. I said, God, please, I'm in a real tough spot here. I truly began to realize the implications of my actions, and it was in this moment that I understood that I was going to die. I said, God, please. No one else can help me. Please, you have to help me. You have to do something. I'll I'll do anything. I'll do anything you ask. Just please, God, help me." My thoughts then moved back toward that near-death experience. I was back in that field. I heard that voice again. It was so calming. So peaceful. I felt my body laying there in the hospital bed. Three IVs in my arms. Track marks up and down them. I felt peace. Then my thoughts turned to my family. I said, God, not for me. Don't help me for me. Help me for them. Please, I'll find a way through. I'll find a way to continue. I'll go to church. Just please, God, help me. It was in this moment All I could think about was water, water all around me, as if I was in the ocean, waves cascading all about me. I felt calm. I felt peace. After that night, things started to take a turn for the better. I began to feel better myself. In total, I spent a week in the hospital. And at the last check, my liver enzymes were at 500. Through this process, I've learned that the easy way is oftentimes much harder and longer. Because when you look up things on how to kill yourself, they don't mention how painful it actually is. They don't talk about seeing visitors' faces come in to look at you. They don't even talk about when it doesn't work, how differently people treat, look, and act near you afterwards, or how when you try and open up to somebody, they back away. It doesn't even talk into the long, hard process of coming back and finding yourself. Through this process, I've often questioned why I was saved and didn't die. I would like to believe it was because that moment of honesty, that prayer, when I finally had asked for help, but many people pray and do not have the same outcome in similar situations. And so, the best way that I've been able to come up with as an answer to this question is that I can now tell this story into old age so that maybe somebody can hear it and maybe that somebody doesn't have to go through hell before they can be honest and ask for help. Thank you.
1: What can I steal What's gonna make You feel like you feel Is this a breathe
5: Is this a breathe
1: That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is Echo and the Bunnymen behind me now, and we just heard from Christopher Fox. You can find him at foxyhats.com with two X's. Okay, we have a lot of live shows coming up before Christmas, folks. We are in New York and Los Angeles on October 22nd. We're in Atlanta, Georgia on November 16th. We're in Milwaukee, Wisconsin on November 14th. Back in New York on November 19th. We're in Cleveland, Ohio. On November 21st, we're in L.A. on November 28th, in Salt Lake City on December 12th, in New York on December 17th, and in Los Angeles on December 19th. You can always find out where we're appearing next live by going to risk-show.com slash tour. And we need pitches for all of those shows. Listen, you might be just like Christopher Fox, someone who has never gotten up on stage and shared a true story before. You might be afraid, oh my God, what might that do to me if I get up and do that? Well, you're going to have a lot of support from us helping you to prepare your story. You're going to have a super, welcoming and encouraging audience, and you are going to be amazed at how cathartic it feels and what an impact it makes in other people's lives. Go to risk-show.com slash tour, check what the theme is for the show when it's appearing in your town, and pitch me at kevin at risk-show.com. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk.